Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Good morning. As we uh, begin today, I'd like to go through the passage of Matthew 14, 24 through 31. As you head back, you can start opening it up. Again, it's Matthew 14, 24 through 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? So this morning, I'd like to cover and focus on why we can have faith in God because it's God is faithful to us and has always been there for us and he's always fulfilled his promises. So a few months ago, I had the pleasure of being able to uh, have breakfast with uh, Dr. John Lennox. Uh, Lennox Lennox is a a professor in Cambridge and he's uh, famous for debating atheists that try to confront uh, Christianity. And during this breakfast, uh, he talked about the concept of blind faith. And it really stood out to me because he said and talked about that blind faith is an injustice to Christianity because it's not, faith does not come from us just believing in God, but from us knowing, and instead it comes from Christians seeing and understanding the pastimes that God has provided for us so that we know in the future he will still be there for us. It's just not a blind faith that God exists and that we should believe in him. And with that, that's where we can look at this passage. Now, I'd like to provide some background into this passage as we dive into it. Now, leading into that passage was when Jesus fed the 5,000. So for those that aren't familiar with it, just remember that this was where Jesus was preaching in a remote area. And just think about this, that you're, uh, you had to walk several um, hours and days to get to this area. And then you all of a sudden, you start confronting him and, and you see him and you start, and he starts talking and and the day continues to proceed on, and next thing you know, you, know you, you didn't bring any food or anything like that, and you're out there in the middle of nowhere, and the closest food source is hours away. And there, that's where Jesus is with his disciples, and they discover that they only have five loaves and two fish. <clears throat> and it's where the disciples say they didn't believe that that food would be enough to feed those 5,000. I mean, Think about it. Would you guys believe that five loaves and two fish could feed 5,000 people? And they said to him, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away 
so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. They, they again, don't believe that Jesus can feed them. They want them to go and provide for themselves. They, they want them to handle the food situation. But instead, Jesus just says, I got this. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread. And we know that it's plenty of food to feed the 5,000, and there's even leftovers. So there we go. We just see that Jesus was providing for them as we're leading to this passage. And then Jesus decides, since the crowd is, is gathering and growing, that he sends the disciples ahead to his next place that he's going to. And that's where he sends them in the boat, and that's where we pick up the passage. So the disciples get in this boat, this wooden boat, because obviously back then they didn't have steel hulls or anything like that that we have the pleasure of, of with the fine U.S. Navy has today. And uh, they begin their journey on the water. And it immediately talks about the wind is in their, in their face and it's beating them down and, and it's creating these waves. And these waves are just beating against the hull and just making this storm kind of develop. Now, I don't think many of you have probably spent a long time on a ship, but I've had, I guess, the pleasure or unpleasure, as you might say, of spending several months. And I don't know if any of you guys have encountered a storm on a, on a boat, but it's, it is amazing the power that these waves have. Now, if you guys don't know and familiar, if you've ever seen it, but the waves kind of come in, and usually what it is with the separation, that they will lift up that bow, and then as the wave kind of goes through, that bow is up in the air, and there is now nothing underneath this. And now this bow comes crashing down, and then the next wave comes by and picks it back up, and then it comes crashing down again. So you're almost free-falling with that as that wave kind of passes through. That's a terrifying feeling when you're out there in the ocean. And it talks about they are a considerable distance from the land. So they can't even see land. These waves are just beating them on this wooden ship, and it's just lifting them up, picking them up, and then they're crashing back down. The wind is in their face. The sea spray is, is I imagine, is just coming over that bow. So as those waves are crashing, it is literally the sea spray is just hitting them in the face, reminding them that they are just getting beaten back down and they are getting pushed back and their progress is being slowed with that wind going into their face. <clears throat> and, and this, it also talks about in the passage, um, also just to understand how strong some of these waves can be also, um, my wife had the pleasure when she was underway on the USS Bush, which is an aircraft carrier, one of the largest ships that the US Navy has with a steel hull. They encountered a storm and they took a rogue wave in the side of the hull and it actually bent the hull. So just imagine that, that today's standards that we have in building these ships was still not strong enough to push back those waves. So add that into that, that uh, confrontation and that uh, craziness with the storm and adding that in that they're feeling those waves actually push against that hole and even just you know with the wood maybe even just flexing back and that they are having all that kind of go on and then on top of it it says that it's the fourth watch now most of you probably didn't know but the fourth watch they estimate is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. now again I don't know if you guys have been up during that time frame but I'm sure since we have so many babies in here, most of us actually have been. <laughs> but during that time frame, I know that I personally am not operating at 100%. I'm kind of half awake, half groggy, half kind of maybe squinting my eyes, kind of looking out. And especially if you're standing watching going through that time period, you're already even more tired because you didn't even get any sleep. 
So it's these early hours where they're already in this, this storm. The waves are coming down. They're beating on them. They're picking them up. They're crashing back down. The wind is in their face. The sea spray is coming up and hitting them in the face. And now it's this 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. period. So they're groggy. They're tired. And this is also when the sunrise starts to come up. And if anybody's seen the sunrise, let's think about this. You, kind of, you don't see the sun at first, right? You start to see the light start to progress through. You can kind of start, your eyes are shifting from nighttime vision to daytime vision. You can kind of start to make out detail. You can kind of not make out detail. It's hard to focus on things. As that sun kind of pierces up over the horizon, right? Then if you're looking directly into that, that those rays are hitting you directly in the eyes and you have to, you can't see well, right? You're squinting into the sea, into the light. And these are all the things that the disciples are experiencing while they're in the middle of this storm, right? And that is when they see Jesus. And so now think about that with their eyes, they can't really see. And, and if you're in that boat with that storm and you can hardly see this person, all of a sudden they're walking out on water and it's, they're a considerable distance away, so they can't even see land. It's not like they could think that Jesus was walking along the beach line or the shoreline, and you know it looks like he's walking on water. They're out there on the lake in the middle of the water, and they see this man walking neck towards them, and that's why they're so afraid. That's why they're terrified, and they think it's a ghost because they, you know, it's the middle of the night, and they immediately hear Jesus say. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. He's providing them that strength and that comfort that it it's truly is Jesus. And Peter responds to Jesus walking on the water. And his initial response allows him to be able to walk on that water. And he says, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. So Peter is asking Jesus for him to come out there and walk on the water, in the middle of this storm, in the middle of these waves that are crashing over the boat, in the middle of this, the wind hitting him in the face and the sea spray coming over the bow, Peter has the courage to speak to Jesus out there on the water and ask to go out and meet him on the water. And Jesus responds with come. And, that, and Peter is filled up with that courage. And in that middle of that storm, he can get out of the boat, so he has to physically climb over the rail and then step back down onto the water with confidence that he's actually going to stand on that water in the middle of that storm with the waves roaring around him, raising up, dropping back down. And he does that, and he steps out there, and he begins walking towards Jesus. So he's successful, and he's doing this, and he's having faith in God. And then it says that he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And that, he begins, as he's sinking down, he cries out, it says, immediately, Jesus reaches out and grabs Peter. So, he didn't, Jesus didn't let Peter, you know, flounder in the water. He didn't let him tread water in the middle of this storm. It wasn't like he was just letting him be a little uh, buoy, bobbing his head up and down. And just being like, rebuking him there and saying like, why did you have little faith? What were you thinking? Why did you even come out here in the middle of this storm? Or anything like that. Instead, immediately Jesus is right there to help him out. And grabs him and lifts him back up. And brings him back into the boat. And it's once he's back in the boat and then the storm goes away. 
that Jesus says, you have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, <clears throat> I'd like to focus on this, this uh, remember this story that I just told, and I'd like to focus on Peter's little faith and his doubt. And the first one that I'd like to focus on is doubt. So Jesus said, why did you doubt? Now, doubt was only, is only found in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it only speaks of rejection, not doubt of God's word. In the New Testament, we see here that it uses the Greek word distazo, which when it's used means to distinguish, to make a distinction, or to judge between. It literally means to stand in two ways. So therefore, in the New Testament, with doubt, we see it being used in wavering between two different thoughts. That does not mean that you disagree or reject one over the other. It means that you are wavering and weighing these two thoughts. So Peter was having this doubt. It did not mean that Peter was rejecting God at the time. So with Peter's doubt, what was he wavering between? What could have been the two concepts that caused him to doubt? Well, going back into that story, he was successful, right? He was walking on the water, and then he, he, he saw the wind. Now, seeing wind, that's a very unusual, but think about that with the sea spray and these waves beating on them. The sea spray can kind of almost cause you to see the wind, right? So the, the water can be moving with that wind and hitting you in the face, and you can feel and see that wind. And it's when Peter realizes this and saw the wind that it begins to sink. So he started doubting between the flesh, that man, living in the flesh where man cannot walk on the water and living in the spirit where God is omnipotent and he controls the water. So debating between those two things is where Peter began to sink. So how is doubt different than faith? Well, Peter, when Peter saw the wind and he started to struggle, that's when he started to sink, but he did not forget and still had faith in Jesus. He still had little faith and he still knew who Jesus was and Jesus was Christ and the Messiah. He had just seen that Jesus fed those 5,000 people with the five loaves and the two fish. And he was faithful to Jesus too when he got in the boat and proceeded on his way, even though it talked about the wind immediately picked up and started beating him with the waves. So even though they encountered that storm right when Jesus sent them on the water, they continued to be faithful and continue on their way. So faith is knowing that God is who he is and he's our Lord and Savior. And faith is not blind like John Lennox talked about. And it's that is what Peter had. So we still might have moments where we doubt between God being in control of ourselves, but we still believe in God. And that was what was going on. So we see that Peter had, those, had that doubt, but we also see that Peter had little faith. So let's focus and look at Peter's little faith. Now, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, yet he still had little faith it talks about here. So even though he, he physically saw the miracles that Jesus performed and could remember those, he still had little faith. 
And it's important that we have strong faith because that little faith that Peter had allowed him to doubt. When we have strong faith in God, it allows us that during those moments that Peter started to doubt seeing the wind and debating between living in the flesh and living in the spirit, it allows you to draw back and go to God's side, to know that God is in control during those storms and that God will continue to provide for us. It draws us to him. So where does this strength come from? How could a Peter and how can we strengthen our faith? Well, <clears throat> again, that faith, going back to what Dr. Lennox said, that knowing faith is God fulfilling his promises, we need to remember the times that God fulfilled them. And I'll look at those in three different ways. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, in our personal lives. So looking at the New Testament, Peter just had saw that Jesus performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And Jesus even tells us that it is important to remember this. And it refers to, he even uses this, Matthew uses the same term, you have little faith in this passage. And here, Jesus was sending the disciples into the area with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he talks about them, and he says here in Matthew uh, 16, 8 through 9, you of little faith, that same term, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? He's telling them to remember this time because as they proceed into the, this area and teaching against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that if they're going to doubt between their teachings and Jesus' teachings, they need to remember when Jesus provided for those 5,000. And it's through that remembering that they will strengthen their faith and are able to go back towards Jesus and God instead of listening, listening to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, that's where we see it in the New Testament. Where we see it in the Old Testament, there are several areas, but I'll focus on the Passover. So God provided means for the Israelites to escape Egypt with the Passover. And with the Passover, he tells them to continue to celebrate and remember it, just like he talked about remembering the 5,000. And we see that in Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 3. He says, Observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God. Because it is the month of Aviv, he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread. The bread of affliction. Because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. He says, so life, you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. God is telling them that they need to celebrate the Passover, to remember the time that God provided the salvation for their firstborn sons by sacrificing and continuing on that festival with the blood of the lamb, so they will remember the time that he 
that God provided them the means to escape from Egypt. We also continue to see that God provided them when he delivered them into the promised land and he provided victories against their enemies. We see it when he provided the strength for the victory in the battle of Jericho, the battle of Ai, and the battle of Jerusalem. All these battles, they were successful because God provided them the means. The third way, so now we saw the New Testament, we saw the Old Testament, and then the third way is our personal testimony. Now, obviously this is personal testimony, so it's going to be different for every one of you, but for me, it's a clear example is me just being here today. So I've seen that God provided me during a time that I wasn't sure of giving up my, my flying aspects, of coming up here and providing me a great command where my boss supports me in getting my uh, Master's of Divinity, that my working hours supported as well, that this church, you guys support me here and just giving me the opportunity to um, preach to you guys and the mentorship that Brett has already provided me. All those things, I can see that it was God setting up the timing and the provisions for me to come up here. Now, 10 years down the road, I might not look at that. I might look at it saying, like, I worked really hard, so I was able to get the orders coming up here. I worked really hard in school because, and got the grades that I needed to become a Navy chaplain. Um, I worked really hard in studying and, and working on my sermons on my own, and that's why I was able to improve them and become better. And notice that I, it's I, I, I. Our mind has a way of playing tricks on us with our personal testimony because we don't always write them down like they're written down in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. So for your personal testimony, I strongly suggest that you guys take the time to either journal them or record them in other media means so that you can go back just like you can go back to the New Testament and the Old Testament provisions that God has and remember them exactly how they were. Because it is remembering the past provisions from God that allows us to strengthen our faith. It allows us to climb out of that boat and begin walking on the water towards Jesus. And we have the confidence that we won't sink. So now we saw that how to strengthen our faith but I do want to bring up that faith is also a two-way street. We can't just jump out of the boat and expect that God will provide for us and that we won't sink or look to see how he will save us. Because Peter did not immediately jump out of that boat. He wanted to confirm that it was God's plan and God's will for him to get out of it. Right? Peter calls out to Jesus to confirm it. And, is, and he's looking to Jesus to make sure that it's all right for him to get out. And he, remember, he said, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And it was once Jesus replied back to him to come that Peter had the courage to actually climb out of that boat, to climb in the middle of that storm during the, when the times are tough and they're getting bounced around and beaten by those waves, that he was willing to climb out and walk on the water. Peter was willing to follow God's plan even during that stormy time. And it was only once Peter heard Jesus' command that he was willing to do so. So God will provide for us, but we have to provide him the obedience and be faithful back to him. 
God is faithful, therefore we are able to be faithful to him. And also, we see this another time with that, that provision that God provided that I talked about with the battle of I, if you guys aren't familiar with this. The first time, actually, Joshua, who was writing over them because they just crossed into Jordan, so Moses was, remained behind and, and passed away, and Joshua took over as a leader of the Israelites. And he was told to just send 3,000 men, and that's what he did. He sent 3,000 men to attack Ai, and the, they were driven back and defeated and sent back and returned, and, and Joshua was confused because they had just defeated Jericho at the time, and they had seen all these things, and he was trying to be faithful to God, yet it appeared to him that God wasn't providing for him. He was upset. And he pleaded with the Lord and was trying to figure out what was going on. And that's where we see in Joshua 7, 12, that the Lord said, The Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been, they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. What the Lord is talking about with destroying those destructions is during the battle of Jericho, the Lord gave him instructions to destroy all the plunder, to not take anything from the city when they conquered it. And they did, Joshua thought they did so, but however, that was not the case. They did, one of them did take, one of the Israelites did take the plunder and kept it for himself, and that is why the Lord did not provide for him, because they were not following God's plan anymore. And once they did destroy that, plunder, they were able to achieve that victory. They returned back to God's ways, God's plan. They listened to him, calling him where they wanted to go, and they were able to achieve that victory. They were able to listen like Peter listened to him and find back and go back out onto that water. So how we learned about the doubt, we learned about the faith and faith being a two-way street. So how do we apply this to our lives? How do we apply the word? Well, Peter was called out there on the water by Jesus when he said, come. So do you know where God is calling you today? It's one thing to have faith and believe in God, but do you know where he wants you? Or are you staying in the boat when God is calling you onto the water? Do you know where or how he's trying to use you to minister? This could be maybe your interactions with your coworkers day to day, or when you take a business trip, showing them where you stand in Christ. It could be that you are called to act in the mission field, or it could be that you are called to support. It could be that you are to stay here and help out with our mission fields with winter relief and other local events that our church has. Or it could also be to support the young midshipmen that we have right down the road at the Naval Academy. Now, you might also know where he's calling you, but you might not be going there. Like I said, you might be remaining in the boat instead of getting on the water. And maybe something's holding you back. So are you allowing something to hold you back to what God is calling you to do? Are you afraid of financial hardship where he's calling you? Especially if it's the mission field. Are you afraid of losing out in success at work if your coworkers know that you stand in Christ? Are you afraid of, that, of losing out on that promotion 
are losing out on that pay raise by expressing that you stand firmly in Christ's ways? Are you afraid of what others might say about you by standing firm and getting out there on the water? The other thing is, Peter called out to Jesus. He communicated to Jesus, and Jesus replied back. So are you praying to have God lead you? Praying, because communication is a two-way street, right? So just like faith is. So if you're not praying to God, how do you expect God to call and tell you where to go? And lastly, are you remembering? Are you reading the Bible to remember the stories where God provides? The examples that I use are just a small fraction of the ones that are in the Bible. So are you familiar with those stories? Are you reading them? And even if you have read them, are you rereading them to stay fresh? And out of the stories that you read, do you have a particular one that you can hold fast to when you do start to doubt? Because imagine that you are in the boat with Peter and the seas are rolling and you're, you're being lifted up again and you're crashing back down and now you're trying to pull out that Bible and you're trying to read a story. I don't think it's going to go very well and I think that you're going to probably get sick. Um, so if you have that story in your heart and in your mind, during those times of storms, you immediately have them right here in your mind and in your heart. And you can remember when God has provided. And you should take joy in this because God provides for us, especially when we need him most. Remember again that when Peter did still doubt and sink, Jesus was immediately there to grab him and pull him back up. With that, I'd like to conclude in prayer before we come to the Lord's table. Lord, you are a faithful and merciful God. You are faithful to us when we, don't, when we do not even deserve it. You are faithful to us when we are engulfed with sin to the point that you provided your only son to us so that he could die on the cross and provide us the forgiveness and the salvation that we need. Lord, it is through your faithfulness and your provisions we are able to be faithful back. We ask that you continue to watch over us, to be with us, and when we falter, you are there to immediately pull us up out of the water. Lord, we ask that you teach us and remind us of your past provisions so that we do not doubt you during difficult and stormy times. Lord, we love you and we are so thankful again for all that you have done, for providing your son on the cross to save us, Lord. In Jesus Christ, amen. Um, as we're going to come to the table, I want to uh, remind us, we're going to kind of put into practice what Ryan just talked about. Uh, every one of us at different times in life, while it might not be a literal ship, we can all kind of relate to exactly what the disciples are going through. When you know Jesus told you to do something and you get in the middle of it 
and the waves are getting bigger and bigger and everything is kind of crashing in around you and it feels like God is very, very distant. And I want to remind us of, of the thing that Ryan was just pointing out there at the end. The key is to remember now. <laughs> I mean, God always, he had just done the miracle before he put them in the boat. Uh, God wants us to have that remembrance and to draw that to our mind even prior to us being in the storm. Then it's there so that when we are in the midst of it, we can call out and we can remind ourselves that God has been faithful. That concept of remembrance is actually huge in the scripture. And so even when we come to the table and you remember Jesus tells us, do this in remembrance. He's picking up on a whole long theme out of the Old Testament where God has said over and over again, your faith is bolstered, not by talking about what you can do or putting in a positive mental attitude, but drawing upon, remembering Here's what I have done. I have been faithful in the past. I will be faithful in the future. And Jesus constantly reminded the disciples of that. And so today we're going to come to the table in remembrance. And I want us to do it with the sense of whatever you're in right now, whether you are in the middle of a storm and everything seems like chaos, I want you to remember that God is faithful and there is no greater sign of that than broken body and shed blood. If God has done that for us, Paul says, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If we are in a situation where we sense God is telling us, because we all know this as well, God is saying, come out. I marvel that Peter did that. I'd have been like, mm, okay, Lord, how about if I just wait till you come here? <laughs> Looks like you're doing fine. I'll just stay where I'm at, you come over here. It's a scary thing when God calls you from where you are, even if that's not good, but it's at least known. Even if you're struggling, it's known. And he's calling you out to something else. That becomes a fearful place. But we do that not based on our own abilities, but saying God who has been faithful in the past will be faithful to us in the present and the future. So as we come to the table this morning, we certainly, as always, need to confess whatever sins we have. We need to cry out to God for forgiveness. But I want us to also focus this morning on God who has been faithful in giving up his son for us. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Whatever storm you're in, whatever boat you're stuck in, whatever thing you sense God is calling you to do and fear is overwhelming faith, we want to remind ourselves, we want to remember this morning that God who has been faithful, is faithful, and will be faithful. I want to remind uh, all of our guests that you are welcome to participate with us uh, as long as you are a believer. You don't have to be a member of our congregation. You do have to believe that our only hope before a holy God is the perfect sinless life of Jesus Christ, his atoning death for us on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not of any works we do, but what he has done. If we believe that, we are all free to come to the table and to participate this morning, and I invite us. What I receive from the Lord I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, 
which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, this morning as we come to this table, we are reminded that our sins are stacked to the heavens, but your grace is higher and deeper and broader than our sins. We are reminded that you have shown once and for all your great love for us in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as we contemplate that, as we remember that this morning, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you stir up faith in us, Father, that you who have done this for us will graciously meet us in all things? Lord, we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. <coughs> Amen. As you get the elements, hold on to them, and we will take them together in just a couple moments. Lord Jesus, as we hold this bread this morning, we are reminded first off that it was broken because it's a symbol of your body that was broken for us because of our sin. And Lord, we this morning certainly begin by confessing our sins. Lord, it is our sin for which you were broken. It is our sin for which you were killed. It is our sin for which you were buried in the earth. And it's for our forgiveness that you were raised. Lord, we are also reminded as we hold this bread that as, as Ryan was teaching this morning, Lord, you were able to take a few simple loaves and feed multitudes because your power is unbridled. Lord, your power knows no end. And Lord, we are grateful that if your power was there to feed a multitude with a few loaves, how much greater is your power to forgive all of our sins by one life, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we are grateful for the bread of heaven that has come down to us, our Savior Jesus, and that he has given himself for us. And Father, this morning in taking this bread and eating, we recognize that he was broken for us, that he is our only hope of salvation, and that as we feast upon him, we find true life. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the bread of heaven. Take and eat. And Father, as I hold this cup that symbolizes the blood of Jesus, that cleanses and purifies us from all sin, Father, I am reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul as he had traced out the gospel in the book of Romans. And he said, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is then the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, as we remember this morning, we don't just remember some abstract historical act. Lord, we remember that you are a God who has intervened and saved. And Lord, if you were so committed to keeping your covenant promises that you would sacrifice your son, Lord, how can we doubt that you will meet us? Father, if you are so faithful that the blood of your son was spilled, how can we believe that anyone or anything will separate us from that love? Father, as we lift up this cup this morning, Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would stir in us faith that whatever we face, that whatever things might come against us, that even should all the demons of hell be arrayed against us, it will never separate us from your love. Father, not because of us, not because of what we stir up, but because of the blood of Christ. We are a blood-bought people. We are yours now and forever. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Take and drink. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would work in each of us as we go throughout this week. Father, we all know that at various times we find ourselves in places where, Lord, we're just like Peter. The waves are rising, the wind is blowing, our eyes are off of you and they are on our situation. But God, we know you are faithful and your hand is there to catch us when we fall. Father, I pray that you would fasten this to every one of our hearts and that Lord, Whatever the enemy would whisper this week, I pray that your voice would be there to speak to us. That, Father, whenever we feel like we are sinking, you would be there to uphold us. Father, whenever we seem distant and far apart and the storms seem close by, Lord God, I pray that at that moment your spirit would bring to remembrance all you have spoken to us today and that, Father, it would strengthen us to walk with you. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and for all you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. Ryan's going to conclude us with the word of benediction. As we go here, I'd like to send you off with Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. 
so that the Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and, how, and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.